doing? Am I on? Not yet. How am I doing now? All right. Well, thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here. And uh, I've never, I don't think I've spoken on a, in a double service before. This is new to me to speak a second time. So the first time you always wonder how much time do I have and so you rush through. But now I think I can relax and just talk to you. And the brownies were so good at break time. I'm looking forward to what you're offering for supper. So just sit back and we'll have a long, leisurely session. Uh, whenever I come here, I and I've had the opportunity and privilege of speaking here before, and I, I tell you about my daughter. My I have three children, but I always focus on my one who's still single. Yes, and I see a gentleman here sitting by himself. Now, there's hope, because I'm looking for a faithful fellow from the Creston Valley to go over to Uganda and live with her. Well, actually, marry her first. So, uh, she's in Uganda, and we have a ministry called His Hope Uganda. She's been over there since 2007, and we have a book. And I brought one, but I sold it this morning. And I only, and so I'm going to ask, I'll, I'll have some here for next week. If any of you are interested in the Ugandan ministry and what it was like to go over in 2007 and have to deal with cockroaches and big spiders and other things and hanging, uh, uh, underwear on outside taboo in Uganda and things like that. If you want to know what it's like and also get inspiration about her struggle through Uganda, I'll have the book here next week. I'll leave one for the library so you can have it. But we're selling them for $20 each, two for $50. And we have, uh, well, this group's good too. And uh, so we will have them here next week should you be interested, but certainly one for the library as well. Good. Um, so that's my, that was the commercial part. And now we get in. To the word. Today I want to talk about joy. We sang about joy. And you read about joy. And you may study joy. And you may think about joy. But what is joy? Something we all long for. But what is joy? And I want to bring you not the world's definition of joy. I want to bring you the Bible's definition of joy. What the Lord means by joy which is very different than the, what the world sees as joy. And the Bible often uses language. That's why the Bible study, I really encourage you to consider that Bible study. When you learn about the words of the Bible, it's so powerful. But there are so many words we use in the Bible that we read them. If we read them from a worldly point of view, we miss the spiritual truth. The word love, for instance. I use the word love about my wife, and about Snickers bars. And I hope I don't use them in the same context, but nonetheless, I love both of them, one more than the other. Love is one of those words that we in this world use very often to describe our relationship with so many different things. But in, in the Bible, love is devotion of a sacrificial nature. Love is like Abraham taking Isaac to the altar. Love is what God did with his son. He sacrificed. Love is possible in this world in the Bible, 
love in Ephesians talks about, it's Ephesians chapter 3, love surpasses knowledge. Now, what does that mean, love surpasses knowledge? It is an out-of-this-world experience, that kind of love. It is the kind of love, we had a couple come to Cranbrook Alliance Church and they spoke. And they had worked in Kenya. And while they were there, their security guard and two other men went into their house at night, raped her, and beat up him so badly they threw him in the garden and they left him for dead. This couple were from Kelowna. They made it somehow to Nairobi uh, Hospital, which in itself was a miracle. Then they flew back to Kelowna and he was treated here, but he was close to death, but he made it through. Then they asked him, what do you plan to do now? They said, of course, we plan to go back to Kenya. Not only did they go back to Kenya to work with the same people, they went to the prison and spent time with the people who left them and tried to murder them, and they led them to Christ. That is out-of-this-world love. That is the kind of love that our human knowledge cannot quite understand. It's God's love working through man. Love. Peace. Peace is the word you read about in the Bible. Peace is the word you hear in the news. In the news, peace means end of hostility. No more fighting, no more bombs. That's not peace. What the Bible talks about is a peace that transcends understanding. It comes from, wow, where did it come from? Peace is the kind of peace that you will find when you're in a bad situation And you suddenly realize, I'm not acting the same way. Where does this come from? I had a friend who had a, he was driving back to Williams Lake and his truck broke down. His back end literally fell out of the truck while he was on a, on the highway near Salmon Arm. He was astounded at how much peace he had. Normally he would be screaming and yelling and worrying. Instead he had peace. That's godly peace. That's biblical peace. That's spiritual peace, love, peace, hope. You use the word hope this way. I hope to go to the I hope to go to the store tomorrow. I hope to be able to travel somewhere. I hope. But the Bible, when you read the word hope in the Bible from God, it is certainty. It is you can count on it. It's assurance. You have the hope of salvation. You have the hope of eternal life. It is certain. It's a different definition than the way the world uses it. Murder. Jesus said you've heard it said that you should not murder. But then Jesus says this. My idea of murder is different than yours. My idea of murder is not just taking someone's life. My idea of murder is you call somebody raka, a fool. You put them down. That's murder. Different definition. Murder and kingdom. Kingdom. The Jews and the disciples of Jesus' time, when Jesus talked about a kingdom, they thought we're going to overthrow the Roman kingdom and we're going to set up a Jewish kingdom. That was what they were hoping for. That's not what Jesus intended. When Jesus speaks of kingdom, he speaks of something high and lifted up that does not come naturally. It is something very special. There's a wonderful uh, story in John chapter 6. And it begins in verse 26. And it involves a group of people 
who are, um, they're coming out to listen to Jesus. And days before, many of this same group had gone to Jesus and they'd listened to his teachings and they got hungry. And a small boy pulled out two loaves and five fishes or five loaves and two fishes. I'm not into menus very much. But he brought out us and suddenly everybody was fed. Wow. So many of the people came back and they wanted to listen to Jesus and they wanted to be taught by him, but they also wanted to see this miracle again. So when you start at 26, chapter 6 of John, it's they are there and they're anticipating. And Jesus himself said, many of them are just coming to get a free meal again. And then as it continues on, they listen to Jesus and they started getting hungry and they asked for food. And Jesus tells them about the bread of life. He tells them about spiritual food. He tells them, I am the bread of life. He tells them about this table, communion. And they say, this is a hard teaching. And they start to grumble. Where's our food? Jesus says, he talks more about the bread of life. And they grumble some more and then they start to divide. And they, some of them start to divide and they bicker and they, and then, in verse 6, 66 of chapter 6, and I call it the 666 verse of the Bible. In 666, very tragic, it says, And then his disciples left him. Many of the disciples walked away. Why did they walk away from truth? They walked away because their focus was on worldly bread, and he was speaking of spiritual bread. He did the same with the Samaritan woman at the well. Worldly water, spiritual water. He speaks to you. And he says there's a worldly definition, but the Bible is for you to believe and trust. So what is joy? If you go onto the internet and you look up joy, you go to a dictionary and you enter in joy, what it says is it associates joy with happiness. And maybe smiling. Happiness. That's not biblical definition of joy. In fact, what the Bible says is consider it pure joy, my brethren, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That doesn't make sense. Pure joy when I go through trials. Pure joy when I am struggling. Pure joy when I have financial hardships or relational hardships, or my children aren't following the Lord, pure joy? That doesn't make sense. That does not fit with our human thinking. It is a teaching that comes from above that is a promise to you. Consider it pure joy, my brethren. So what is this joy? What does it mean? And Before I get into pure the, the joy aspect, I want to talk to you about a passage from 2 Peter. I bounce all over the Bible. 2 Peter, I think it's chapter 1, verse 3, or 2 Peter. And it's 2 Peter 3, verse... In any event, it's in the Bible. And it says, His divine power... No, stop at those first three words. Think about that. How do you know God's divine power? This is the power that created this world. This is the power that, that gives you energy in your pulse right now. This is a power that is awesome. His divine power has given 
you everything. Now think about that word. Everything. Everything you need for life and godliness. How? Through your knowledge of Him, Jesus, who called you by His very great and glorious promises. So that through these, you can participate in these next words excite me. The divine nature. God says, I can replace your human nature with divine nature. What is your human nature? Your human nature is your reactions. It's the way you react as a human. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, you know how you react. Somebody messes up with your life, you know how you react. Your children, don't, you know how you react. That's human nature. God says, through my knowledge of him, through God, through Jesus, knowledge of him, I want to give you a divine nature. Included in the divine nature is something called joy. In fact, it includes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, goodness, goodness, all of them. Joy. So what is this joy? When I, I've been sick for about four years, I, I went over 60 years without visiting a hospital or a pharmacy or I didn't know anything about this stuff. And suddenly from about 62 on, boy, I could become a pharmacist. I am a walking pharmacy. I've had all kinds of pills dumped in me. I've had all kinds of hospital stays. I know what hospital food is like from Calgary to Vancouver. It's wonderful. And you people here who have heard about it have prayed for me. And I thank you so much for that. And here I am alive. I have a pulse. I'm breathing. I'm in pretty good shape. So thank you. But it wasn't always the case. There were times when I went through some rough times. But the beauty, there have been so many blessings in that. And there's a passage from James that many sent me to. And it's James chapter 5, and it talks about anybody who is sick, call the elders, go to the elders, have them anoint you with oil, and have them pray over you, and you will be healed. It's a wonderful passage. But there are six words that finish that passage. And he will lift you up. I am not so concerned about the physical healing. I am not so concerned about my kidney problems. I want to be lifted up. What does that mean? Humble yourself under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up. These are promises of God for you. What does it mean to be lifted up? What does it mean? It says, uh, search me, O God, and know my heart in Psalm 139. Test me, try me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What is the way everlasting? What does that mean? What does it mean to have the kingdom? The kingdom is within you. That's part of joy. It's something deeper. What does it mean? See, what happens is when people come to me and they say, how are you doing, Gary? Because you look sick. How are you doing? I'll say often, I'm 110% spiritual. If I am 110% spiritually, what does it matter what happens to my body? What does it matter what happens to my life? If I am 110% spiritually, I'm in great place. 
Philippians chapter 4 calls it contentment. I am content. Philippians chapter 4 says you have to learn to be content. You have to learn to be in content. And that's part of joy. Joy is one of these amazing things that comes directly from God. Many years ago when I was a teacher and vice principal, I was accused by a student of sexually molesting her. And then after a while, it became public. Went out in a memo to several different places. And it was, and obviously I went to my principal and vice principal, my co, my co-worker, and then we went to the, uh, superintendent and director instruction, and amazingly they all supported me. I couldn't believe it. They all supported me. And they allowed me to continue teaching. But they said to Shirley and I, we have to get a lawyer. We have to go to a lawyer just in case. So we went to a lawyer. He read the memo. And he, you could see the dollar signs rolling in his eyes. And he said, um, you can sue the man who wrote this memo. And you can get everything he has. And we got to share with him, we're not interested in court. We're not interested in money. We are, we are blessed by the peace of God. And then he said this, okay, if that's the way you want it, here's five, he didn't say five things, but there were five things. He said, first of all, you have to realize your reputation as a teacher in this district, doesn't matter how good you've been, is gone. People will not look at you the same way. Your reputation is gone. Number two, your job. He said, once this becomes more public, the school board will probably suspend you with or without pay. Number three, financially. It's going to cost you everything. Every phone call you make to a lawyer is going to be on you. It's going to cost you a huge amount. Number four, your children. He said, normally the social services and RCMP will take your children as you're putting them to bed, maybe about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and they will take them and interview them independently. And depending upon what they say, you may or may not see your children again. And then number five, almost as a way of trying to get us to change our minds, he said, and if for whatever reason you're found guilty, they do not take to sex offenders in prison very nicely. Those words rung in my head. And we got to say to him, we have the peace of God. And the reason I had the peace of God is because God gave me clearly this message. He said, if it takes two weeks or 20 years, I will take care of it. And then he added one more line. He said, it may happen before you die, it may happen after you die, or it may happen because you die, I will take care of it. And God and Shirley and I, especially myself, had tremendous peace from that point on, knowing that somehow God would take care of it. And there were so many blessings that came out of that. And it wasn't 20 years. It took 17 years. 17 years later, the girl who had made those accusations met with me. She recanted. She apologized. And relationships started to build again. It took 17 years. But God did it. See, God has a story for each of you. God has a story for each of you. And somehow that story fits into his plan for the world. Um, now, I'm, I'm jumping around here, but um, there's a wonderful book in the Bible called Ruth. 
And Ruth is about the mother, Naomi. Naomi is a word, it's my daughter's name, and it means pleasant. Wasn't always the case, but it means pleasant. And she was married. She had two sons and two daughter-in-laws. They were both married. And then what happened? She lost her son and then another son and her husband. And there she was. She was a widow. She was without any means of support. She had no family left. She had no future. She was living in a foreign land. And she went into town and she said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Change my name to Mara. Mara means bitter. She said, life is terrible. And I call me bitter. But as you follow the story of Naomi and Ruth, her daughter-in-law, you find out that Ruth marries Boaz. Good name for a son-in-law. Boaz. And Boaz, they have children. And they have grandchildren. And the grandchild is King David. Who is in the line, the ancestry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what happened there is Naomi got into a point where she was bitter. She was fed up. She couldn't take anymore. And yet, she was part of God's story. And God says the same to you. You may go through a time of bitterness. You may go through a time of loss. You may go through a time of disappointment. But God has his story for you. And if you look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Be confident of this very thing, that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion to, on, on the day of Christ Jesus. The day of Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Heaven. I am looking forward to heaven. Heaven. And what, when I was, I'm on a dialysis machine every night. I'm personally attached to my dialysis machine. I kind of like it. It hums away, keeps me, keeps me going. And it gives me life. So it's not a bad machine. But the problem is if I travel, I need all this supplies to go with me. And I was sitting on my dialysis machine, sitting next to it one day, hooked up. And it suddenly hit me. One of the items on my bucket list was not going to come true. I'd, I've watched too much Downton Abbey, and I saw too many commercials about Viking cruises. And I have this romantic idea that it'd be nice to take Shirley on a Rhine River cruise. Eat the food. Enjoy the castles. Wonderful. And it hit me that day as I was sitting with, hooked up to my dial dialysis machine, that wasn't going to happen. It's just not part of my future. Because as long as I had this kidney problem, I could not travel to the Rhine River. And I was disappointed. And you've been disappointed. You know what a disappointment feels like. You've been disappointed. But then God said to me this, Gary, I have a river cruise in heaven that will make the Rhine River look like coal I'm looking forward to that river cruise. I'm looking forward to heaven. My daughter's in Uganda and people will sometimes say to me, what's it like to send your daughter to a place where she, she has uh, diabetes, so she's not in good health. She gets malaria. She gets typhoid on a continual basis. And every time I go to hug her in Calgary, 
goodbye. I'm, I know I may not hug her again in this world. It's just part of reality. Anything can happen. And God said, you have a relationship with Kimi in this world. I have a relationship with Kimi right now that's wonderful. We talk, we talk more to her than we do to our daughter in Calgary because we're on the line with her on Skype virtually every day because we want to know what's happening with her ministry and how we can pray. And it's a very close connection. But my worldly relationship with Kimi is scarred. It's scarred by the number of times I blew up at her. It's scarred by my power trips with her. It's scarred by my names that I called her. It's scarred by the things that I said that I wish I could take back. It is scarred. And and I've talked to Kimi about that and I've apologized to her and she's apologized to me for the way she treated me. But it's nonetheless scarred. I am looking forward to my relationship in heaven with my daughter, Kimi. It will be perfect. It will not be scarred. I'm I'm looking forward to my relationship with you people in heaven because I will see many of you in heaven and I will know you. And it won't be based upon what you wear and the way you look and how old you are and what you do for a living. It will be a spiritual connection. Joy is knowing that I have an inheritance. I have a future. I have a way everlasting. Joy is knowing that somehow he has a story for my life. Joy is being given the godly and spiritual privilege of changing one word, one letter in a long word that is tragic. It's that word disappointment. And God says, allow me to change the D to an H. And when that concept works through your mind, it changes your perspective. God's, your worldly disappointments are God's His appointments. They become part of your life story. It is part of your life story. Every time you go through a disappointment, God can use it for his purposes and the benefit of others to build your story and perhaps your story will fit into the return of the Savior. It's a beautiful story. Every one of you has a story. Trust in God Joy is the ability to see rise above this world and the basic crap of this world and see life from a new perspective. That's what joy is, godly joy. I put in your bulletin a passage from Isaiah chapter 30. And that's one I want you to focus on. Isaiah chapter 30 is a wonderful. And, that, and because I put it in the bulletin, I should start my sermon sometime soon. So here we go. Isaiah chapter 30 includes the rebellious people in verse 9. And this is what the rebellious people in verse 10 say. They say to the seers, the prophets, the wise ones, they say, see no more visions and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Instead, tell us pleasant things, prophesy illusions. Leave this way, get off this path, Stop confronting us with the Holy One of God. In other words, the rebellious people at that time were saying, we've had enough of this. Just give us good news. 
Don't tell us about how we have to live a holy life. Don't remind us of our sinfulness and our weakness. Give us good news. We want to hear pleasant things. Tell us lies. And I see the North American church in this state. And then God turns his, his message to those in repentance. And that's in verse 19. In repentance. And he talks to those few who are true to him. And then he says in verse 18, Yet the Lord brings, longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. He says this to each of you. He has compassion for you. He has grace for each of you. And then in verse 19, he says, O people of Zion. I read it in my verse, O people of Erickson Covenant Church. It's right there, kind of. Who live in Erickson. You will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you. A voice behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. This Bible translation, this Bible does not say God is going to remove your affliction necessarily. He's not going to remove your adversity necessarily. But he will be with you. Some of you are going to go through hardships. Some of you are going to go through adversity. And you will go through affliction. But God says, I can use you. Your disablement can become his enablement. And that's the word he wants. And when you grasp that and you understand that and you take it to heart and you trust in it, there will be a joy that rises up in you. It is not an emotion. The world thinks joy is an emotion. It's not an emotion. It's a sense of Yes, I'm okay because God's got my back. I'm okay. That is the message of joy in the Bible. I want to say that I love this worship team. I just appreciate so much how they led me in the first service and the second service into his presence. And they're going to do that again. They're going to come and lead you again. And as you sing these words, think about what is the message that God wants to bring to you? What is the message that God wants to bring to you? And included in that message is an amazing sense of joy. And I want to thank you again for this opportunity. Thank you. And we're now going to go into communion. Thank you. I'll call up those people who are going to uh, serve communion and I'll, I'll be right down there. Communion for me is a, an amazing activity of sorts, but it's very emotional. We love birthday parties and we love anniversaries, or at least you might. Shirley and I both forget our anniversary. It's on Jan, June the 30th. It's in the middle of summer. We're traveling all over the place. And about August the 2nd, we will look at each other and we say, gee, I think we missed something. So we shake hands and stay married for another year. 
But birthdays are wonderful. Christmas is wonderful. Easter is wonderful. We look forward to those occasions. Communion is one of those occasions. Communion is a place, a time of memory. It's a time of devotion. It's a time when we can renew our mind and think in a different way. Communion is very emotional to me because there's two elements. Well, one element is the bread. And Jesus says, this is my body. Remember me. So I think of his body. And I think about what he had to go through. I have one son. I could never imagine giving up my son for you especially if you were my enemy. God gave his only son. I think about his body. I think about how he was whipped and tortured and humiliated and rejected and beaten. That's the bread. I think about God's love that he would do that for you. Then I go to the drink. That's the blood of Jesus. That's the new life. That's the gifts of the Spirit He wants to give you. That's the beginning of all good things. That cup represents, when you dip into that cup, it represents new life. I go from, whoa, heartache to absolute joy. I invite you to do the same. This is not a table of the Erickson Covenant Church. If you are here visiting and you know the Lord, we invite you to join as well. And we just thank the Lord. Father, bless these elements that they would truly become so meaningful for each of us that we would look forward to these times we have to share in this cup. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.